homie. Heidi Ho, good neighbor. Shit, man. It's nice and roomy in here, isn't it? It's not yeah. all cramped with those other two D bags. <laughs> yeah, we can stay around. The See, dead. you know, I've been saying it for months and months and months. We just had to cut some dead weight out of the show. Exactly. Joe and Chris were just bringing it down. But now, actually, uh, let me tell you why they're not here. So, Joe's not here because he gave us an ultimatum when we said we want Jim Davis on. He's like, no, it's either me or Jim Davis. So, Jim Davis will be on tonight. <laughs> and uh, Chris, I think on the way home from work, he had, uh, what do you tell me? He had like a herpes outbreak or something. They just started bumping up and he had to hurry up and get to the hospital. So, he's uh, he's dealing with that right now, his crotch critters or whatever they're called. I bet so he, he won't be here tonight either. I bet he pops in. I bet he pops something. Truth. You know? But uh, yeah, before I we gotta, uh, I got to get one thing out of the way real quick. Um, Isaiah wants me to let everyone know he ordered new company shirts that have been designed. Oh, like the 100th one? Yeah. He's got more different shirts designs than there are Pokemon cards. Right. Yep. I still want a shirt. I'm still waiting for a shirt, Zah, if you're out there. Been waiting for a long time. Extra large. Send it. Send it over. Slide up in my DMs. I'll give you my address. Nice. What's up, Cyborg Sheep? Yeah, I cut my beard. So, if you guys, I think it was last week, I decided to cut my beard. It's time for a change. He looks like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I haven't seen my neck in, in weeks. And actually, I think I look more like a country superstar or something now i just got to get my pasty white neck tanned up now the thing hasn't seen the sun in a while no oh hey look chris stevens is in the chat everybody he wants to make sure he's somehow talking yeah yeah it's a good thing there's a there's only a 200 character limit in the chat eh <laughs> blow that out of the water what's up everybody jesus fish Hughesman. Chipmunk, Cyborg Sheep, Andrew Beck. Michael Hausch. Never seen him yet. Michael Hausch is in the house tonight. Uncle Duncan Shack and our little buddy Randy with his little buddy Luke hanging out with their balls out somewhere in Alabama, Pennsylvania. I don't know know where he lives. Wherever he lives, I bet he's within five minutes of a Dollar General. Guaranteed. Guarantee it. See, New Orleans man, HVAC, he likes my new look. Ah, my wife likes it too. It's good to change every once in a while. Shave off your depression beard, get your life realigned, and then grow it back when you're done. You should grow long hair now. I would if I could. <laughs> I'm bald on top though. I did try, years ago, I did try to do that thing where you, uh, where the guys with male pattern baldness, they like grow out a ponytail. I tried that and it looked real stupid. Why don't you get the the hair plugs? Take your pubes and, and stick them on your head. Man. So like the all around the side of my head would be nice and thick and poofy. And then like up, up on top, it's all just like strangly, like dirty looking pubes just hanging out up there. Yeah. Yeah. See, if I could get like a, a Jim Davis wig, I'd rock that. He's got sweet hair. Yeah, he does. We're going to be talking to him a little bit. So if you guys have any questions, like I said in the chat earlier, make sure you put them in big, big letters so we can... So we can see him. Jim's apparently a really smart guy. So bring us a bunch of questions. Do you uh, see that Brian Orr is starting to sell the tickets for the symposium? Yeah. In January? Yeah. That's exciting. Um, 
Do you think we're going to get invited? I don't know. And if, if he remembers us, if he might... we are invited, do you think we're going to have name tags? No. No, 100% no. Like by the time we get there, they'll probably actually already be out of all the because they'll probably have like 10 blank name tags. They'll use up before they'll use those up before we get there and then we'll get there. And then, you know, Leliana, what's her name? Leon? I don't know. I'm going to butcher her name. Uh, she's going to try to find his name tag. She's going to rip off a piece of paper. So we're going to be walking around all weekend just with like a piece of paper taped to our shirt that says our names because we're that far down on the totem pole. Yeah. Well, should we bring in our guest of honor? Yep. Let's do it. All right, guys. Here he is. We got a slow clap. What the? For Jim Davis. Left bobblehead. I bet you scare a lot of children with that. <laughs> That's brand new. I haven't had a chance. Man, I want a bobblehead now. That's awesome. Yeah, we need to figure out how to do that. Yeah, we do. I think my daughter is going to market them when I die. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of that, thanks for not dying before the show. We're yeah, uh, yeah. looking forward to having you on. I know. <laughs> I, had, I had a thumbnail. I would have to change the thumbnail and everything. That would have sucked. I got time for that. I was just hoping I wouldn't get diarrhea. <laughs> oh, there's still time. You'll get sick of us tonight. <laughs> you want to bet? <laughs> you that through my class. <laughs> we will soon enough, right? Yeah. yeah. We have a bunch of questions about that because I'm kind of nervous. I have no idea what to expect from your class because I have never done any sort of combustion analysis yeah. ever in my life. I've read about it, had brief conversations about it, never done it ever. Well, there's, there's a, probably big differences. We don't try to kiss anybody's butt in our class. That's pretty good. I, I you know, we're not, we don't try to bound those manufacturers or authorities. or we, we try to tick everybody off if we can. <laughs> so after class, we can't talk about how my feelings are hurt by something you said? No. Oh, well, I guess. Yeah. But you're about guess... to on me. You know, a lot of people, I don't know how many times people have asked me if my hair is real. And, of course, first thing I do in class is say, why is it on crooked? Uh, <laughs> I mean... That's that's my my stick. What what is the what's the story behind your legendary haircut? Uh, Were you a I, porn star once? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I grew up with a burr haircut. I had short hair all the way through, you know, grade school, pretty much high school. And I had a burr haircut in the service, and I missed the '60s. And I hmm. said, "Screw it! I ain't never ever leaving the, the '60s again." And it just kind of went that way. You know, whenever I see uh, like pictures of you, it always reminds me of John Fogarty, and I mean that in a good way because I love John Fogarty. Okay, I get. But I'm pretty sure he was rocking a similar. I get Steven Tyler. I've gotten uh, Bill Gates. I've gotten uh, John Denver. I've gotten. Yeah, I've gotten a few, John few Denver. different ones. Uh, but that's all right. You know, I think I could Anybody? be standing. I could st stand in the middle of St. Peter's Square in Italy in Rome, and people would recognize me before the Pope. Just because of the hair. <laughs> See, I don't know if you noticed that picture on the uh, the thumbnail there that I found on your Facebook page when you <laughs> were wearing a black robe for no reason. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my better pictures. I I lost think the that. lighting lighting was perfect. Yeah, I appreciate that. 
<laughs> See, let me tell you, uh, when Bill first came to us with that thumbnail, I was going to go back to him and try to get him to, you know, change it up, do something else. But it's kind of in the spirit of the show. We have to build busts everyone's chops with the thumbnail. That's uh, that's my life. Right. That's, that's just, the fun of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't that's take the first me seriously. I don't take me seriously, but I take what I teach very seriously. Yeah. Well, I'll be coming to your class in November. I already paid for it, signed up and everything, so oh, wow. I'll be there. And I do take class seriously. Yeah. And, and I'm very serious in class. You know, we are talking to last Friday about me throwing things. That actually started when I started selling testers. People would say, oh, my guys are rough on tools. They're going to break it. We can't afford to put that kind of money in it. And I drop it on the floor. Mm. <laughs> and... I just start throwing analyzers from the very beginning to show people they're not going to break. Now, some of them did because they hadn't met me yet. Mm. And all of a sudden, they all had rubber boots on them <laughs> and were made out of football helmet material. See, I, is, I is that kind of like if you can dodge an analyzer, you can dodge a ball? Yeah. I mean, I had a guy from UEI come in when they get, with their little CO tester that's back in the 90s. He says, here's here's our new CO tester. What do you think of it? He hands it to me. I let it drop on the floor. It shattered in 100 pieces. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I go, whoa. Well, I mean, <laughs> what, did, what did that guy say? He's back to the drawing board. He's like, oh, <laughs> shit. Uh, I said, oh, my God. I didn't know it was that fragile. <laughs> He said, if we bring you another one, would you use it before you drop it? <laughs> I, said, no, yeah. I didn't know you made the case out of toffee. <laughs> Something like that. A shatter, man. I've, I've, I've done a few embarrassing things in my life. but uh, <laughs> uh, We all have, though. No, it served a point. So you were, you were talking about last week um, that you were one of kind of the beginners and originators. There was no... no um, what do you call it? Nothing, no literature for you to read. How did you learn all this on your own? Like that's, you know, uh, like I tell people, I said, you know, back in 78, 79, there was no internet. So I had to go to these antiquated buildings. You know, I think you still have them in your town. They're called libraries. Hmm. No, nope. there's books. And then I started going through books. All I found were chemical formulas. Well, there's this many atoms, there's this many molecules. I can't, I can't walk into a, a mechanical room and start counting molecules. So basically I said, well, I'm just going to have to spend time with my customers. You know, one of the first uh, calls I made was to a small little local company here in Cincinnati. I'm not going to say their name, but their initials are P and G. Um, <clears throat> and we're looking at some boilers in their plants one of their plants and they're 400 horsepower which is uh what, 17 somewhere around that 17 million btus and i hook up the analyzer i knew how to plug it in the wall back then they're you know a couple thousand dollars they were great big so uh plugged it in flipped the on switch pushed the calibration button calibrated stuck the probe in the flu and started readings so i look at the readings the engineer there looks at the readings. I look at the readings. He looks at the readings. All of a sudden, he looks at me and goes, well. I go, well. 
He goes, well, I go, well, I'm on the edge of my seat. I says, well, what? He says, what the heck's it telling me? I said, I don't know. I've never done this before. I I don't know. I said, do you have a manual? He goes, yeah. I said, get it for me. So he went and got his manual. I said, give me about 20 minutes to go through it. Now, there is literally hardly anything in there except a really big word. The word was stoichiometric. Now, back then, I I couldn't even pronounce the word. I'm not sure I can still spell it. Uh, So set it as close to stoichiometric as you can. I go, what the hell is that? So basically, I just said, well, and about the only thing it says is reduce excess air. I said, okay, I can figure that one out. Because oxygen and excess air are the same thing. So we tweaked. We played a little bit. I said, let's see if we can adjust this, your air shutter down a hair. We did. Didn't change it much. Didn't really see any. You know, the oxygen might have changed a couple percentage points. Uh, temperature changed a little bit. Uh, it wasn't making any CO. So the guy said, oh, that was fun. I said, yeah, now you got some numbers to go by. Again, didn't know all the numbers yet. So, you know, they buy the machine. Six months later, they call me. They said, we've got a funny story. The gas company's out here today changing our gas meter. He said, our gas bill dropped $12,000 in the last six months because of those adjustments. They think our meter's bad. Wow. I said, but we didn't do anything. Or I didn't think we did anything. And that's when I started to realize there's more to this than anybody's ever said. And this happened. $12,000. Yeah. And in the class, I talk about a hospital in Northern Kentucky saved over 100 grand a year. Now, what kind of adjustments are you making to these that make them that much more efficient? Like, what are you you adjusting on these for one? Okay. What number represents PTUs the most? 144. Uh, no. Uh, 12,000? Temperature. Wow. Until you generate temperature, you don't have BTU. That's true. Well, I started to find out if your, if your flu temperature is too low, you're not making anything. And then I realized if your flame temperature was too low, it didn't matter what the flu temperature was. It still screwed up. <clears throat> so I started to relate to temperatures. So temperatures are things, flu temperatures, what I call my gas pedal. If my flu temperature is low, low, it needs gas. Now, oxygen is my excess air number. Now, if my oxygen is high, that's my break. It says me to cut back, slow down. Don't need that much air. So, again, I kind of relate that a little bit to those things. So, looking at the numbers, like I know an induced draft furnace, 80 plus, whatever, is supposed to have ideal 6% oxygen, 302 Minimum flu temperature. Well, if it's 12% oxygen and 250 degree flu temperature, that temperature is way too low. And which means I'm lacking fuel. And when you're lacking fuel, you're not using air. So by adding fuel, that raises the temperature and lowers the oxygen. And again, the CO reading tells you how far you can go. And again, there's certain specifics. And after you test, tens of thousands of different pieces of equipment in field, these ranges kind of find themselves. I didn't create the ranges, the equipment in the field created them. 
So it's kind of interesting. Uh, how do I know how many BTUs a furnace is putting out? Mm. Regardless. Look on, the tag. Huh? Look on the data tag. Clock the meter. That's, that doesn't tell you how much it's putting out. That's, that was my second guess. That's that's telling you how much gas you're using. Using that's a, yeah okay. And if it's propane, I I have never found the meter yet. I'm still looking. Hmm. <laughs> so that's in oil. There's no meter either. So clocking the meter kind of went out the window with me right in the beginning. And because I was doing industrial jobs, you got an industrial plant with 12 pieces of equipment uh, on the same meter. You're not going to tell them to shut off 11 so you can clock one. Right. So that screw that. I yeah, Brent Prenzel in the set, chat says stack temperature. Yeah. And again, clock in a meter doesn't tell you how many BTUs are in the gas. There could be 920 BTUs or 1,020. That's the standard all across the country. Until you get to high altitudes, then it can drop as low as 800, 700 BTUs per cubic foot. So again, clocking the meter, unless you know what the BTUs of the gas is, doesn't do you much good. But temperature is the same no matter what. I don't care if I'm in the mountains or I'm at seashore. The fluid temperature of a furnace should be 302. <laughs> hmm. So again, depending on whether you, uh, the numbers say I need fuel or the numbers say I have too much air. Again, that's how we relate to numbers. Then we explain what that means. You know, what does 6% oxygen mean versus nine? Well, 6%, Gas burns at 3,600 degrees perfectly, no excess air. Okay, at 6% oxygen, your flame is 2,800 degrees. At 12% oxygen, your flame is 2,000 degrees. Now, when you're 12% oxygen, your flue temperature is going to be 230 degrees, but 6% oxygen, your flue temperature is going to be 302 degrees. Now, my analyzer is going to say the one that's... 12% oxygen is more efficient. Well, wait a minute. I only made 2,000 degrees out of a possible 3,600. How could that be more efficient? <laughs> so again, we kind of relate these numbers. And then oxygen <clears throat> is velocity. How fast is it moving through the equipment? Is it moving at 6 feet per second or 12 feet per second? That's not the exact speed, but we try to make these. And I hold up a lighter in my class. I'll light it and I'll take my hand across the flame. I said, now that, that lighter, you know, it's over 2,000 degrees, but it's not doing anything because it's, I'm not spending any time in the, in, in the heat. Well, again, oxygen does that too. The higher the oxygen, the faster everything's moving. So again, we try to relate these things to things that are common sense that people understand. So like a guy who's never done this, like myself, can come into your class and actually begin to absorb some of this yeah actually i had a hers raider from michigan years ago come to come to a class in toledo mm -hmm. she was out tuning her neighbor's furnaces the next day nice. she didn't even know what a gas valve was oh wow so yeah that's that's how specific we are in these things is you should be able to feel comfortable the next day now understand i I stood in front of a lot of big equipment that made my knees shake. And I used to wear knee pads on the inside of my knees for when they banged together once they're shaking. To keep them from chattering? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet I never killed myself or anybody else. But again, I learned to watch 
I learned to observe. And that's really what taught me. It's just a matter of you do things over and over. Eventually. How long, how long have you been doing this, Jim? Since 1978. Oh, do the quick math on that. It's like 47 years. I forget. I, I never asked Mike who his dad was. But I work with most most of the houses in the Cincinnati area. Mm -hmm. They're out in Lebanon. And, and uh, I work with Mike. I work with Rich. I don't think I ever work with Ez. I don't know which one is he's related to the most on the rascal. <laughs> no, yeah. I forget. You're in Ohio, Jim? I'm in Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I that's that. where I learned the majority of what I do Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, Indiana. But, uh, and again, crazy. I never promoted myself as anything. I never told anybody I was a combustion guru or anything. I was just trying to help my customers. But then they had the audacity to tell other people in other cities. And we got this guy in Cincinnati that really knows this stuff. And I start getting requests. Mm. Kind of crazy. So you know? who were your customers? What Where did you work when they were? I worked at a wholesaler. Oh, okay. But we were a FireEye Honeywell distributor. Training contractors and... So, yeah. So we had a lot of industrial engineers that ran big border plants. So we sold, uh, you know, industrial users too. And that's where I initially started. And boy, as a dummy, that would, you would think that'd be the last thing you want to start is the big stuff and work your way to little. <laughs> so uh, every new type of equipment that came out, because we weren't a carrier, we were a control house. You know, so we wouldn't sell carrier, ring, Timstar train, any of those. We sold controls. So when a manufacturer came out, an oddball manufacturer came out with a weird product like a tankless water heater, a uh, recuperative furnace. Uh, a recuperative furnace? Yeah. yeah what's that? Yeah, I've never even heard of that. Really? They were made in Leary, Ohio. Hmm, never even heard of that place. Fish. Really? No. Uh, it was the old Janitrol, uh, Schneider, and... I forget who the other one, but anyway, it was combined. They came out with the first condensing, they call it recuperative. Hmm. <clears throat> but because all the other wholesalers in town were selling major brands, they came to us with that. And I got to be, I said, hey, we can sell those. And my boss said, okay. And again, it was special. And we sold them to every dealer in town that, you know, regardless of what they had. And then they came out a condensing oil furnace made by Yukon in Minnesota. Well, nobody, nobody wants to mess with oil. I did. And we I've seen an oil system once. Huh? I've, I, I, yeah, I've seen one. Yeah. Well, I've trained a lot up in New England area. Pennsylvania's big in oil. Believe it or not, Virginia is big in oil. Kentucky, West Virginia. Uh, outskirts of uh, Cincinnati, lots of places. Indiana has no oil. Kentucky has lots of oil. Wisconsin, Minnesota have lots of oil. Uh, but again, after selling that furnace for at least a year, the manufacturer called me and says, you're selling our furnace, aren't you? I go, yeah. He says, why aren't you calling us, calling us with problems? I says, because I'm not following your instructions. <laughs> <laughs> and we get accused of violating manufacturer's instructions. No. Furnace says 100,000 in, 80,000 out. That's all we're trying to do is make it do that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah, but you set the gas pressure higher than 3.8. I said, yeah, because you got the wrong orifices in it. Well, then change them. I said, why'd you put the wrong ones in there in the first place? Well, because not most people even test, so we figured it'd be safer. We figured it'd be safe. Now, I had one of my students, and uh, actually Virginia Beach, a guy's encyclopedia of equipment, and he's got spec sheets and installation manuals, which is about everything out there. Uh, he looked up a bunch of specs, new furnace installation manuals. Every one of them says, if this furnace does not perform up to its rating, replace the orifices. Every single one of them. Now, what does that tell you? They know the orifices are the wrong size going in. See, it's funny because I started, you know, several years ago. I went down a rabbit, rabbit hole. I read a bunch of things that, you know, I read Jim Bergman. I read, you know, AccuTools has a nice cheat sheet. Uh, Bacharach has a guide. Um, and Jim made a few videos, and one of them was actually on drilling out orifices. And I had a conversation with the guy from train. I'm like, so if this is the combustion is not correct and you're saying I need to be within this range, yeah, are we supposed to drill out the orifice or whatever? And he's like, no, you set it at this and that's what it is. I'm like, well, what if it's not burning properly? And he's like, this is what train wants you to do, period. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Hmm. So you essentially would void the warranty if you did that's, that. Yeah. That's like saying you can't put a refrigerant in your air conditioner because you got to use what's in there. Yeah. You know, same thing. Now, if you weighed in your charge on every air conditioner, that's the only thing you did. It says 3.4, 3 pounds, 4 ounces, and that's all you did. How many air conditioners were you running right? Not very many. No. And that's why 3.2 to 3.8 inches almost is never correct on anything. Wow. So, sort of off subject. Now, for commercial guys out there, you know, why is it important for commercial guys to test combustion? Like, we're talking like rooftop units. Like, in my world, I do a lot of like five to 20 ton rooftop units. Yeah. So, well, besides like saving money, you know, because uh, they can poison people. That would be bad. Now, what people don't realize, and I, I learned this a long time ago. In fact, I discovered it while I was out testing. But then an uh, industrial hygienist or industrial uh, chemist up in Rhode Island actually did a test. Carbon monoxide is heavier than air below 32 degrees. Hmm. Which means a rooftop that's making CO will migrate the CO back into the building. Mm -hmm. And there's been many cases where people got poisoned in buildings with rooftops. And it was at the end of the building where there's no equipment. But guess was it at that end of the building? The package Fresh units. air intakes. Oh, yeah. Fresh air intakes. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, wear and tear. Most rooftops, they're just as bad as uh, any furnace. So they're under-fired. The, uh, so I guess, um, it's, again, since I've never done this before, right? you hand me a, a combustion analyzer. Yep. What's what's like the first thing? I don't know if you can give it like a just a brief overview, a step by step. Like, what's the first thing you do? Analyzer in hand, walk up to the rooftop unit. Like, I just got done with your class, so I'm a genius inside. But yeah. you know, sort of take us through that process a little bit for those out there who don't know. Well, uh, in class, I tell people there's two times of two types of people. There's ignorant people. 
that's the people that don't know but want to learn. And then there's stupid people that don't know and don't want to learn. I said, when you leave this class, you're going to be ignorant genius, which is better than a stupid moron. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, okay, first thing we do is we stick the probe into the outlet. Now, some of those are a little tricky. Um, sometimes it's got the drive-in hood. We'll drill a hole through the hood, so we stick it in there. There's a little screen there. Mm-hmm. We want to get our probe in there just far enough it doesn't hit the wheel. Because when it starts going ding, 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 it's kind of hard on the probe and the wheel. Makes sense. That's the only time I've ever gotten poisoned <laughs> during the class was on a rooftop down in Mississippi at a Naval Air Base. That's the only time I actually got poisoned during a test. Uh, I mean, I just got nauseated and threw up all over the parking lot, but hmm. I told him that was a normal class demo. <laughs> I'm just showing you guys what will yeah. happen. Yeah, that's just one of the symptoms. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of – plus there's a lot of wear and tear. What's the number one reason rooftop heat exchangers uh, rust out and crack? Combustion. heating. They're underfired. Underfired. Yes. Yeah, underfired. Uh, does that mean they're producing, they're condensating, or? Yes, exactly. Oh yeah, that. The more you're that does make sense. The more you're subject to condensation, and that's not the only problem with them, but that certainly is one of the major problems with everything. One thing I have noticed, um, you know, in the very limited um, time and experience I have doing combustion tests is yeah. when you have something that is way out of range, yes. um, like around the diverter hood or on a package unit, it's all rusted. Like you yes. see a lot of rust everywhere. Yes. That means it's not venting a hundred percent. Now, have you ever read the definition of a draft hood? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the code book and in the Ashgrave engineering manual it says the function of a draft hood is to isolate the appliance from venting and to allow the free exit of gases into the structure should there be no draft, a downdraft, or a plug flu. In other words, draft hoods are designed to keep equipment running when it's dangerous. Why? Because we have an industry standard. We want to make sure our customers are clean and warm when we kill them. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I don't want to be moving no cold dead bodies. Yeah. Right. I mean, have you ever read of anybody dying of CO poisoning that was cold? No. No, no I don't think exactly. so. True. So, uh, Your heat still works. Yeah. Nice but, and warm. Yeah. This dead guy's nice and warm. I'm going to cuddle up to him for a little bit. Yeah. Just like uh, you heard about the three people that died at a Sandals Resort in the Bahamas. A couple yeah, of yeah I did. CO poisoning from water heaters. Oh, see, I didn't hear that's what it was. I, I heard CO yeah. poisoning, but I didn't hear yeah. what uh, what the cause was. Yeah. I don't think they were lighting farts. Um, uh. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. What would happen, like, um, you know, what, what would happen if you removed a draft hood? Like, what, what would happen if it... We do. We remove 100% of them. I won't even work on equipment with a customer. If I was, when I was out in the field and there was a draft hood on the appliance... And he didn't eliminate it or remove it. <coughs> I'd leave the job. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Now, you got the attached draft hoods, which we don't. 
do anything to but close up the hole. Now, most specs say you cannot alter draft hood. Well, I'm altering the hole. Is the hole part of the draft hood? Well, I called the factory and tried to order a new hole, and they don't have them. So I'm assuming the hole belongs to the building. <laughs> hmm. It's kind of like a donut. Did they make the hole in the donut? Was the hole already there? And they just I'm having a hard time concentrating with this donuts and holes and farts. <laughs> <laughs> so many cool words going on here. Yeah, now it's like the eleven-year-old kid in me wants to come out and laugh at fart jokes again. Yeah, but uh, when we take them off water heaters, we're not altering them; we're relocating them. We just moved it from the top to the floor. There's nothing that says you can't relocate them. You just can't you, alter them. You take them off water heaters? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Huh. Hundred percent. In fact, I was just talking to a guy in Chicago today. Want to make sure he got all the parts right. <clears throat> Water heaters are the number one cause of CO poisoning nationwide. Water I heaters, mean, they are super like when you think about natural draft water heaters, it's yeah. kind of a crazy yeah. concept. We're way past that, right? As yeah. it, like, we should be. Well, if you knew what I knew about all of them, some of the new ones would scare you to death. But, uh, <laughs> wow, yeah. Huseman. But yeah, and it's. There's reasonings behind it. And again, when you get into the whole stories, you know, when something isn't venting, what's the main byproduct of combustion? Carbon dioxide. What's the way to carbon dioxide? It's 40 to 50% heavier than air. So guess where it goes? To the floor. Mm -hmm. What does carbon dioxide displace? Oxygen. Oxygen. Yes. Because that's what's in fire extinguishers. So guess which appliance runs out of air and starts making the most CO the quickest? The one that has the burner near the floor. Wow. Dryers. Oh, water heaters. So it's like kill it. It's kind of ruining its own combustion, huh? Exactly. Now, dryers are so lean, it would take forever almost to get a dryer to make CO. I've tried. Hmm. Unless they're commercial. Those are different. We've had lots of people get poisoned because their rooms were below the laundry and a in a hotel. <laughs> See, T.Y. Banana Man in the chat says, just put an arrow on the pipe. That way the air knows where to go. Yeah, well, we got stickers we sell for that. Oh, yeah, stickers are a better idea. I always tell people, just run the crimp in the right direction. Yeah. Because air knows which way the crimp is. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the stories in class. So uh, what what's, the, what's one of the craziest situations that you've seen or caught? What's one that you have one that sticks out in your head? Oh, there's there's thousands. I mean, I got I got great stories. Uh, a story years ago, a guy worked at Cincinnati Zoo, worked in the birdhouse, and anytime they brought in exotic birds, he'd have to bring them home to a special room designed to get them to adapt to their new environment. So he brings six birds home, thirty five thousand dollars. Well, it's close to dinner time when he gets home from work, puts the birds in there. Wife's out in the backyard uh, working. It's a fall day, and she's doing some stuff, cleaning up the backyard. So he goes outside for about a half hour, 45 minutes, comes back in, looks at the birds, and one of them's laying at the bottom of the cage with his feet up in the air. I was pretty mm. sure that wasn't one of the habits of this bird. Went over the cage, and it's dead. Now, he's aware that fumes can kill birds so he calls the gas company they come out and sure enough there's CO in his house 
And they said, yeah, that probably killed your bird. We need to turn off your furnace. So I went oh. down and turned off his furnace and leaves. They aired out the house that it's going to be okay. So he goes back out in the yard with his wife for another half hour or so. He said, ah, I better go back and check on those birds. Now two more are dead. So he calls the gas company back. Does the CO have a delayed action? And he says, well, it could. He says, well, I just lost two more birds. Could you send your guy back? Oh, he's on the other side of town. Why don't you call the fire department? So the fire department comes back out. Same amount of CO in the house as there was before. They tell him, we're going to have to turn off your furnace. He says, the gas company turned that off an hour, a half hour ago. Well, we're going to have to turn off your water heater. So they turn off the water heater. Went out the house, fire department leaves. So now he goes back outside. Wife says, well, dinner's almost ready. I got a roast in the oven. Comes inside. She gets the roast out of the oven. He goes back in the room. All the birds are dead. Guess what killed him? Mm. The oven. Oh, the oven. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I've never thought about combustion on an oven. Oh, yeah. See, those it's birds bad. are what we call wusses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Sometimes wouldn't it be cheaper instead of buying an expensive combustion analyzer, just go get a bunch of parakeets and bring them around with, on your mm -hmm. main house with you? Well, that happened at a company in Cincinnati. Uh, they were a lithograph company. And back in the 90s, early 90s, all these carbon monoxide alarms had zinc oxide sensors, and they were sensitive to printing chemicals. Well, these guys would be getting poisoned. And after we fixed the job, the contractor fixed it under my direction. They put in a seal alarm, but their chemicals kept setting it off. So they ended up going out and buying a parakeet. <laughs> so they actually did buy a parakeet. Nice. But after two weeks of changing dirty, shitty papers in the cage, they said, okay, we feel safe. Get rid of the damn bird. So I have had some virgin stories. Uh, but yeah. Now, are you one of these... Uh types of people jim that you wear one of the personal co monitors absolutely yeah take it everywhere have you, have you had any um you know any any times you're out in public and you're like you're, you're just walking around it goes off and yeah now one of my students uh was in an office one day and he's walking through the office back to around and all of a sudden he gets walked by this one cubicle and the thing goes beep 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 he looks around, he walks forward and stops peeping, comes back and starts peeping in that same place again. So he calls me. He says, I'm getting this thing that's going off just at this one cubicle. I said, is there anybody sitting there? He says, yeah, this heavy set guy sitting there. I said, then he's farting. Because <laughs> you can get those things to go up over a thousand parts per million when you fart into them. <laughs> Oh man, I hope that's like at least half a day we got to spend on that in your class, right? We all take turns farting into CO two monitors. Well, we've had we've had some contests. One of my one of my students in Tennessee got it up to over two thousand. Oh well, see, I'm gonna switch to like an all vegan diet before I get out there. Tofu, some refried beans, all up in me. That's that's all cows. Blow that thing right out of your hand. That's all cows eat, and guess what they do? They fart and belch more gas than anybody. See. So I wouldn't I wouldn't trust that vegan diet at all. I think vegans are probably causing the problem. Uh, I mean, that's where the hole in the ozone's coming from, all these hippies. Yeah, I know. Walk around farting with their dirty feet and hairy armpits. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean I've had some interesting 
adventures. I got called to fly to New York one time to figure out why some fireplaces were smoking up these condos in Manhattan. I'm saying, why are you calling me? There's got to be somebody in New Jersey or New York that knows how fireplace works. They said, nope. We hear you're the only guy that knows how things vent. I go, what? That's... <laughs> that paid me to come to New York and figure out why the fireplaces weren't venting properly. I mean, I'll say that is flattering for you and also terrifying because yeah. that means like nobody else around knows this. Nobody else is trying to know this. Nobody else is. Well, I, you... I, yeah. What, has there been a time or when was the last time that you've been stumped on something where you're like, I just don't know? Never. Dang. <laughs> Never. Now, I got to have the information. That some Sometimes it's harder over the phone. Mm -hmm. than it is in person. I've never had a problem in person. Now, usually if I can walk a guy on the phone through the testing, we'll pretty much figure out the problem right off the bat. The question is, is will the guy actually fix it? Because the fix is going to be something that goes against, you know, what people are used to doing. Used to doing, you know, what is the best combustion air for a furnace? What's the best way to provide combustion air for you know an open flame furnace? Blow into it. Supply register on the duct. Oh yeah, that too. Holes in the wall are useless. I mean, and that's a funny thing because by code, yeah, they don't allow you to count that. Yes, they right? do. Well, it's on the National Fuel Gas Code, you are allowed. Near me, they they've. They've said no. You need you need wall vents or something going you know a transfer grill or something going outside. I've gotten check, check your book because I know the National Fuel Gas Code. That's interesting. Seven uh, Ace CFM per thousand BTUs, something like that. Hmm. Uh, you don't. You only need half a CFM. Worst case scenario, but they want seven Ace. See, I, I need to read more. Huh? I need to read more. Well. You don't have to read it from us. You know, it's just like, why do you put in a high end oil? High end what? Oil? A high, a high combustion air grill and a low one. Why do you put in both? I don't know. Because you have to, right? Yeah. <laughs> why is it? And that's the only reason I wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you got I pants on? Oh. Not today, I don't, because I'm not out in public. I was going to say, was I supposed to put pants on for this? No. You okay. dressed up enough for tonight. Okay, yeah. Not in my pajamas this time. And I comb my hair. So, uh, <laughs> according to Ashray, the high one is in case your flu plugs up. It's a secondary flu. And the bottom one is for fresh air. Really? Yeah. Hmm. But, but nobody told the flu gas that. You know, that's, that's so much baloney. And then a lot of people say, well, one's to bring air in and one's to bring air out. I said, well, that's kind of counter counterproductive, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I said, where's the air for the furnace? Or the water heater, if they're one sucking out, one sucking in. That's scientifically and mechanically in impossible. Unless the wind's blowing. You got to fan can... one and out the other. So I can tell right I was, I was gonna say I can tell right now, Jim, your class in November is gonna be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, 
my mind has been blown like 10 times already. We're like, I don't know what's going on right now. Yeah, I did a class in St. Louis multiple years. And finally, their tech rep who sat through it, they had a two-stage furnace down in their lunchroom that we played with. And finally, just the last time I was there a couple of years ago, he said, you know, we've never actually checked the gas pressure on this furnace after you set it, can we? I said, sure. So they got out his manometer, two-stage induced draft furnace. I think it was deuce. didn't matter. Anyway, low fire, the gas pressure was three and three quarters inches. On low fire? And high fire was five and a quarter. What the? Yeah. And it purred like a kitten. It was perfect. So how does that even play into like temperature rise and all that? You know? That's that's why we had to get it there. Oh, to so get the temperature rise within specs. Specs are wrong. So the temperature rise that's published, like that the furnace gives you on the their tag. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. Okay, you got a hundred thousand condensing furnace, ninety thousand out, right? Mm -hmm. The manufacturer says delta T thirty to sixty. Okay. There's a formula CFM times delta T times air density correction factor. If I had a 30 degree rise in that furnace and it's 90,000 out, I need 3,000 CFM. I don't think they come with that size blower. <laughs> hmm. If you actually do the math, you'll see there's no way in heck you can have those kind of delta T's. I'm so ignorant, I can't even be confused. <laughs> just you know i actually had to teach uh the president of nci about airflow for heating because he didn't even realize <clears throat> that it wasn't wrong it wasn't correct until i came along but uh i didn't correct it it's always been there you know the formula cfm times delta t has always been there i says i didn't create that i says i just measured it no furnace should have a delta T in any firing rate less than 60 degrees, period. None. Old furnaces were 75. Uh, oil was 85. But uh, you see these 45 to 65, 40 to 60. It just, just blows me away. Because mathematically, you cannot get the output of that furnace with the blower that's in it at those delta T's. It's very simple. So with the higher temperature rise, are you you got to be closer to tripping off on the main limit, no? Yes, yes. And that's why when I used to sell furnaces before I came to NCI, uh, we actually sold uh, Coleman, which became York. Well, I found out if the manufacturer puts a lower high limit in it, they get an extra point on their efficiency. Hmm. So they started to put in limits, 150, 160. And yeah, they would trip on limit. So I kept a desk full of 200s. And anytime I sold a furnace to one of my customers, it was mandatory they changed out the limit from 160, 170 to at least 200 degrees. Now, people say, what's going to happen? What if something happens? I says, well, first of all, if you're selling furnaces that melt at 200 degrees, you need to switch brands. <laughs> That's a good point. 
<laughs> we make we make our furnaces out of dark chocolate. Can't have it too hot. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my new jokes coming up. <laughs> now I heard that you had written a book at some point in your life. Well, I wrote my combustion book for my classes. So is that something that's available to the public? No, because oh. they're more they're not textbooks. They're it's uh, more of a like a, yeah. to go along with your teaching. Right, right. Okay. And the one I wrote in '85, and that was more of a textbook, but those are long gone. And the ones we I wrote, we wrote, I wrote for NCI, at least the combustion one that we use now. That one's pretty much just a, a class manual. It, mm. it, there's a lot of wording missing. Someday they may decide to publish my oil book and my co- commercial book, <coughs> which are written as textbooks. They go through it. And they're written kind of personally, because, you know, when I write, I like to use my personality and I'll say something funny in it. So do you have Uh, any new projects coming up on the horizon, new books, new anything that you're uh, delving into? Well, actually, I've got this group up in Detroit area, National Carbon Monoxide Coalition Awareness Association, that wants us to put together a special training for firefighters. Hmm. That's awesome. Across the country, because they're number two on my CO ignorant list. Oh, firefighters? Yeah. Wow, I thought they would be, um, you know, actively training in that. No, they're not. Not at all. Here's a stupid question. Who's number one? Parachute. Eating an air, guys? Parachute. Paratroopers? Paratroopers? Huh? You asked a uh, stupid question, right? Oh, yeah. You get a stupid it. answer. Yeah. You did. <laughs> yeah, I figured out the riddle. <laughs> I understood the assignment. I never I never missed that one. <laughs> yeah. I just figured you were having a senior moment. <laughs> I got a lot of others. <laughs> Actually, when I have a senior moment, you see me disappear. Uh, <laughs> uh, gas company's number one. Ignorant. Oh, that's scary. Firefighters number two, doctors number three, code officials number four, manufacturers number five. You know what? I, like my initial thought of um, kind of talking about the, the the levels of dumb that are out there is like I, I don't consider myself a genius whatsoever, but I try real hard. I try to stay curious. I try to learn as much as I can. But over my years, I've seen a lot of gas valves free and this isn't really combustion related, but it's, no, it is combustion related, I guess, but I've seen a lot of gas valves get changed out. For example, like when the building had the gas shut off, yeah, they're not even testing to see if we have gas pressure, let alone even imagining testing what comes out of the other end after the gas goes through it. Yeah. You know, so what are we going to do about uh, inspiring the next generation to delve into testing more? I guess don't like that question. He's like, he's got Joe's camera. Oh, shit. Well, the new Joe, everybody. I hope he didn't have his camera hooked up to a kill switch or something. Like, if he dies, his camera shuts off so we don't see him. Well, well. He's blowing my mind. I feel like an idiot. I'm like, yeah, I got the answer to this one. And then he tells me something completely different. Yeah, like the few things I thought I kind of understood... I was like, that's not, I didn't even think about what that was or whatever the answer was. I got it totally wrong. Yeah. I'm 
kind of nervous going into this class. It's going to be awesome, though. I've never dove into combustion analysis like this. I know a couple of people in the chat were asking, since I've lived in Michigan my whole life, how, how have I not ever done combustion analysis? And I mean, I'll be honest, I've never worked for a company that had, well, no, I, I did work for a company that sort of did it. We had like one guy that go out and like, you know, certify all the equipment for us at these various sites that we worked at, but it wasn't like actively pushed. I've never worked for a company that was actively pushing it and talking about it. And you know, I've heard other technicians talking about it, but right i just really honestly the, the the coolest thing i've ever seen like that i've used because i've never taken a class i've been wanting to for several years um but the AccuTools like combustion guide where it's like this is the efficiency furnace or boiler this is where it should be at it doesn't mm -hmm. tell you why or if it's not this is what's happening i don't believe it does at least it's been a while since i looked at it but um it's just like this is the range you should be within you know what i mean this is the parameters um, it's kind of cool to hear. Oh, here he is. Sometimes my cord slips out of my computer. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what were we talking about? I That's don't remember. It seems like it was hours ago. You know, you know, you can. We got a protocol where you can see if the gas valve leaks after it shuts off. Is it's allowed to leak a certain amount too, right? Or no? Industry standard says it can leak up to ten percent LEL. In the NCI class, we say no. What's LEL? Lower explosive level. In other words, explosive level of natural gas is thirty-five percent gas, sixty-five percent air. So you're allowed to leak up to three point five percent. Not in our book. Oh, we got a question in the chat here. I think I've actually been ignoring a lot. I'm sorry if you guys have actually put questions in the chat like we originally asked you. <laughs> I was so drawn into the conversation, I wasn't even paying attention to the chat. Uh, but uh, Hamilton Mechanical asks, what about propane blue flame heaters? How bad are they really? Well, you can't trust a blue flame. I, I think he's talking about like the torpedo heaters. That's oh, what yeah. I'm thinking of. They, they like, need to be tuned up too. Like the ones you see on job sites? We've tuned up uh, floor buffers, propane heaters, uh, you name it. They can all be tuned. Hmm. It's just a matter of doing the best you can. Not everything can be tuned as low as we like it, but we got to tune it as low as we can. Now, a torpedo heater, you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm shooting for 100 parts per million on it, but I certainly don't want three or 4,000. So I know a friend of mine was tuning up a propane-powered floor buffer. He got the CO down from about 4,000 to about six 700. That seems like a pretty good improvement. And the manufacturer of floor buffer says, how'd you figure that out? <laughs> that's, yeah, I that's terrifying. People, I, says, I says, I'm a genius. There's two things you can adjust on a piece of equipment, fuel and air. I says, and how many directions can they be adjusted? Up or down? I says, and everybody thinks I'm a genius because I know that. Hmm. <laughs> and um, the newer yeah. furnaces, like the, the new furnaces out there, you can't really adjust the air, right? I mean, I guess if it's a... How do you do Like, I I, I guess... Oh, is it, we put ball valves on the intake. What if it's an 80% furnace? 
Then we put barometrics in the flu. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know anything about anything anymore. <laughs> hey Jim, we got a we got a guy asking: Are you teaching the class uh, in September in Cleveland? Yes. Okay. Super. Yes. I, if I can get there, <laughs> no. I'll draw you a map. I mean, uh, I'm I'm really hoping you show up to the one in Detroit or near Detroit. And if you I'm can't get there, yeah, we're we're gonna take a ride to your house. I'll pick you up personally. I'll drive you over. Yeah, I think it's in Hudsonville. If I have to take an ambulance, I'll show up. All right. <laughs> I, I I have helpers. I need I need I need helpers. But once once I'm situated and seated, can't shut me up. And we got a uh, another question here from uh, Cyborg Sheep. It says, "How far do you think we are from combustion going away and electric alternatives taking over everywhere?" Uh, probably twenty twenty five years. Yeah. Get a battery battery powered furnace or something. Or twenty years from now, they're going to realize, realize they made a big mistake and start going the other way again. Mm -hmm. What would you set the uh, barometric damper to? Another person asks. Okay, uh, the gas furnace. I set it with the combustion analyzer. On the oil furnace, I set it with a draft gauge. There's two different ways to set them. Um, I've never set one or even yeah. thought about setting one. Yeah, on oil, you set it based on the draft over the burner. On gas, you stick your meter in the flue, your analyzer below the barometric, and you watch the oxygen and CO. If they're both stable, which means they just keep reading seven, 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 and so it goes 30, 30, 30, 30, it's set. You don't have to touch it. However, if your oxygen starts to fall, seven, 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 six, nine, six, nine, six, eight, six, eight, and the CO is 30, 30, 31, 32, okay, the barometric is probably too wide open, and you add weights to it until it stabilizes, and now it's set, and it'll never change. Very simple. Now, there's a sort of a counter question from uh, Joe Shearer, who had the best comment. He says, don't the barometric in the flu just add more dilution air, and then you have to install a sole switch? Never heard of a sole switch or most of what he's talking about. On induced draft? I don't know. No, because we're drawing less air through the burner. We're bringing in about the same amount of air, except... Instead of bringing it in through the burner and diluting our flute, our combustion, we're bypassing it. Hmm. So what you see is if your draft is 04, your oxygen coming out of furnace is like 8%. But when you drop the draft to 02, the oxygen coming out of furnace is 06 or just 6. So we've That's, reduced. You're, you're naturally. You're, see you, Hamilton. You're inducing the draft on the flu with the barometric damper. So you're controlling it. We're reducing it. Yeah. Okay. So instead of it pulling through the furnace, excess, we relieve all the excess draft the furnace don't need. And draft is what controls combustion air to the burner. On a condensing furnace, we add ball valves to the intake. We also teach you there's nothing worse for combustion than outside air. Really? Yeah. Cold air causes erratic combustion. Because air mm. gets colder, it stops mixing with the gas. And so you have erratic combustion. <laughs> I would also imagine, you know, as the seasons, well, no, 
because you're not going to be um, having your furnace on during like summer months, of course, when there's hot, humid air that would that would pull in. But I guess your your hot water heater, your gas water, your gas water heater. Yeah. In the wintertime, you're pulling in cold, dry air. In the summertime, you're pulling in hot, humid, lightweight air. Oh, I imagine good. that's got to do something with the uh, like condensing or uh, its yeah, its ability. Not, not really, I think water heater is the same. Unless you're talking about a tankless direct vent. Yeah, if you got a water heater, the worst thing you can do a tankless water heater have fresh air outside air directly into it. Hmm. You got a, qu a question from Nate, the house whisperer. What does yeah. erect uh, erratic combustion look like? Erectile combustion. Is that what you almost said? <laughs> when it's 40 outside, your oxygen is going to be 6%. When the temperature is 20 outside, your oxygen is going to be 8%. Because it's not, and your CO is going to jump up radically. Instead of being 30, it may jump to 70. Because the cold air is not mixing with the gas. Because it's it's condensed. It's condensed. It's like trying to dissolve sugar in cold water. Hmm. My brain hurts. And <laughs> now during class, Jim, what do you do to people who are like, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Because I feel like I'm not gonna be able to write down this stuff fast enough. That's, that's why it's all in the book. Oh, okay. So it's that kind of book. So I don't need to take notes. It's, it's, it's what you need to know is in there. There are obviously some side stories that we throw in. Uh, there are field examples in the back of the book that you can read completely. Uh, but yeah, we we give you our phone numbers. You know, my cell phone number is available 24-7. <clears throat> so we are always available to talk and answer questions. You can answer, could you repeat that a thousand times in class? And we'll repeat it a thousand times. It's your class, not ours. Hmm. Super. Because I might have to and pull can, that card out. You can argue with us all you want. And we'll have some fun. I really don't want to argue. I yeah, I got nothing to argue about. I... Uh, it's fun. We we argue on the lighter side. You know, it's just like you know we talk about. There's no such thing as too big a chimney. You know, chimneys are like wives and girlfriends. If you don't tell them they're too big, they don't know. Hmm. I never recommended a flu liner and never will. And have had many, many pulled out. Doesn't it degrade the chimney or that's because the combustion is not so right? Because the combustion, you have any combustion air problems. It's not the chimney's fault. Uh, chimney's an inanimate object. Well, like I never thought about that. I just, this past year, I just had my, uh, my chimney yeah. decommissioned and kind of, you know, lower down below the roof level. Really? Yeah, because it was, it was starting to get old. I mean, it was 120 years old, but... Um, we'll have a party. I mean, you're invited. Will you come to the party? <laughs> it's a pants oh. party. <laughs> a pants party. That's good. Underwear, too? No. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where the right. fun That's where the fun happens. <laughs> you can bring your bobblehead and make it weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this is a good, it's been a great conversation. Not a good conversation. It's been a great conversation. Yeah. You're one of our top most favorite guests, I think, Jim. Okay. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. You know, you guys are fun and I like to have fun. And, you know, that's kind of the way I do things is having fun doing it. Mm -hmm. I have and, fun you know, that's, 
that's what we're trying to do here honestly is uh make people understand like you can still be sort of a nerd at this and have fun in it and be good at it and propel the industry make it better i'm a nerd you know Mm -hmm. i'm no smarter than anybody i teach i just argue that i just experience things that they haven't i i I guarantee you most people i teach are smarter than me in so many more ways (laughs) they've certainly got skills i don't have no i was a pretty good center fielder when i was younger but uh other than that you know (laughs) you know it's funny i was teaching up at Milton Hershey School in Pennsylvania. And we go to tune up this uh, boiler. And there's a little label on the gas valve that says, do not remove. And the guy's looking at me and says, can we move that? I said, yeah. Don't get bossy, cyborg. We can move it, but we can't remove it. So we're only going to move it once. You know, I never remove it back. I just move it once. You know, I've seen that sticker on uh, modulating furnaces occasionally yeah. on the gas valve. Yeah. Hey, Jim, we got a we got a couple of people in chat asking about uh, which brand of personal CO monitor do you use? Well, unless you're personal, we use the uh, Industrial Pro SensorCom. It's got to be the Industrial Pro. It's the one that has the blinking lights, the buzzer, and vibrates. And you can set the alarm levels on that. They can be recalibrated. Uh, they last. Now, we've had some that are five, six years old. Where a lot of other people's are throwaways after two years. This one you can change the battery because it's got a camera battery in it. <coughs> uh, so SensorCom, Industrial Pro, of, you, out of all the other ones out there. Do you uh, test that often, calibrate it often, change out the battery every six months or whatever? to Change out the battery when it says it's bad. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, not when people around you are passing on, we're like, oh, I should change the battery in this thing. Yeah. And you can test it with uh, cigarette smoke. You can test it with a couple matches, light a couple matches, blow them out, stick it near the meter. Turn on your fart machine there and probably. Your fart machine yeah. will work. Uh, <laughs> I've actually put it in a big Ziploc bag with my analyzer and put CO in the bag to see how close they were to each other. Now, no two meters are going to read exactly the same. I don't care whose they are. Hmm. I could put 100 backpacks, 100 testos, 100 UEIs in the same bag, put in 100 parts per million of CO, and they'd all read different. Really? So, <clears throat> yeah. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. There's just you can't have exactness in these sensors. They all have their own little sensitivities. Do you have a favorite favorite combustion analyzer? My favorite is one that somebody knows how to use right. Ooh. I've sold back racks in 78. We've sold some Testo. We've sold some uh, TSI, which they stopped making. I sold some TPIs at one time. I sold a couple of UEIs. Okay. As far as easy to work on, easy to repair, easy to use in the field, I still prefer the back rack. Uh, Testo makes a great instrument as long as you buy the expensive one. They're cheap one. I don't like because the probe don't come off. Uh, but I think they've changed that now. But again, I, I don't care what you buy. Yeah, we do sell back rack. <clears throat> Most of the guys come to class already have something. So it's not that big a deal. Uh, I just want you to know how to use it. I want you to know how to take care of it. You can't ruin them. 
You know, people yeah, say, oh, I was testing this unit and I had to pull my probe out because my seal spiked. I said, stick your damn probe back in there. Really? I'm always afraid because I've seen it where it's like uh, the back rack. I have the Insight Plus and it's like XXXX. I'm like, I'm going to die. And then I just run out of the building, wave my arms in the air. And I mean, I don't pull my probe out when my wife screams. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what usually what happens. Eh? People <laughs> scream when I pull mine out, but I'm usually in the middle like of a mall when I do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, at the park. People don't like seen, that at the park. My analyzers have been the CO in excess of five digits. At one time, I well, back rack had one that went to eighty thousand. I actually had one that went to hundred thousand, and I had my regular meters in there. It's pegged them. I got out those meters, and I'm breathing thirty-five thousand, fifty thousand. I have never ruined the CO sensor ever. Hmm. And the only thing that ruins them is turning them off when you peg them. That'll saturate the sensor, and it could be weeks before it recovers, but it'll probably still recover. Now, some manufacturers make an analyzer. If you exceed your CO, they shut their pump off. Uh 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 uh. You know, and that's in the specs on some of them. I saw them today, but he's looking at a couple new ones. And uh, I said, nope, can't shut the pump off. It's got to keep running. You don't, have to take, you don't have to take a probe out of the fluid. All you have to do is disconnect the probe from the unit. Makes it real simple. Mm. Again, these things. Most of them will hold calibration for two to three years. At six months, one year, that's politically correct. Mechanically and scientifically correct. I've been calibrating since the, I guess, late 80s. I've always had calibration gas at home at my office. And I've been calibrating in 999,999,999,000 out of 10,000. have never needed calibration after three years. In most cases, hmm. I've seen some right out of the factory, right out of calibration, they're farther off than the ones that were old. So, as long as it responds, it's good. You know, if it's off 50%, so what? So, you're reading 100, it's actually 150 or 50. So, what? As long as it's stable, it ain't going to kill anybody. The only time CO is dangerous is if it's rising. 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20. That'll eventually reach infinity. And that's the dangerous numbers, the most important numbers to get, which is why we say you have to start testing the second it comes on until the last second it goes off. If you're only testing after five minutes, 10 minutes, taking one test and quitting, you screwed up. So again, these are all things I learned in the field Mostly because I was stupid in the beginning. And I didn't know any better. I just did things because I, you know, left my probe in the flu. Didn't know you weren't supposed to, supposedly. It's called soaking. Yes. But it didn't hurt it. No. But it, I stumbled upon discoveries. I would have never imagine watching my analyzer after something shut down, making more CO with the burner off than on. What? I said, what? Let's do that again. Again, same thing. And that's how I discovered we could find leaky gas valves. Hmm. Because the raw gas hitting in the hot burner and heat exchanger will make CO until it cools down below 900 degrees. Shit. This is going to be a good freaking class. That's all I can say. It is. <laughs> I well, I think 
I think my brain has had just about its fill for the night, Jim. No. I put a kibosh on the questions. Okay. Is there anything you want to ask us, Jim? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Nobody ever does. <laughs> I'm just glad uh, we had this time and uh, hope we can do it again and maybe we can get something more specific if you want. Yeah, we'll have an actual topic that we can talk about. Yeah, we should revisit this in the uh, the colder months. Yeah, maybe after the class, eh? You know, I went oh, through. Yeah. I went through all the posts of HVAC overtime from almost your beginning. How many posts there are on combustion and heat? Zero. <laughs> maybe three. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say zero. So you, you can see the lack of. I was going to ask you, like, what do you think the percentage is of, you know, commercial and or residential techs actually testing combustion and setting combustion versus the, you know. I say there's 20% doing it. Less than 1% of them know how to do it right. That might be part of that 1%. That's terrifying. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was teaching, I said, the commercial industrial guys are some of the worst. Ouch, that hurts my heart, Jim. <laughs> I'm a commercial, almost industrial guy. Yeah. But you're right, though, because I have no... At this point in my career, I'll be honest, I should have a better understanding of it and have more testings under my belt. And you know what this testing does for you? It makes you money. Yeah. It makes you lots of money. I'm okay with that. It saves you lots of time solves problems and makes you money and makes your customer happy i can stop doing only fans now that'd be great yeah showing off my butt to everybody <laughs> it's, it's always been my belief i want my customers to make as much money as possible because mm -hmm. then they're going to spend more money with me <laughs> so jim for those out there who don't already know about your class where can they find information uh, about your your class schedule for this coming year uh, you go to National Comfort Institute uh, website, and there'll be a complete schedule. Right now, I think it's only through November, maybe. Listed. Yeah, I thought I heard there was another one scheduled after that, but I know all I care about is the one in November in yeah. uh, Hudsonville, Michigan, I think it is. Yeah, I think is it Hudson? Yeah, it could be. How often are you teaching? I teach at most maybe twice a month is my limit. Because hard for me to get around. I mean, I, I feel like I've been waiting quite a while for you to teach a class, at least locally by me. You know what I mean? And no, this I don't think I taught in Michigan last See, year. See, they should cryogenically freeze you and then thaw you out when it's like time to teach a class and then uh, freeze you again so we can David get more. Richardson, Tom Johnson, uh, Paul Rebolt down in Texas are phenomenal. Yeah, they don't know everything I know. They don't have all my stories. But as far as the knowledge, the guys are amazing. And they all used it as contractors for years before coming to teach it. So they actually know how to implement it within a business hmm. and use it for success. So, you know, I got to pick them. I got to train them. They wouldn't be there if they weren't phenomenal. I say they're either equal to me or even better. So I, I, I pull no punches there. Nice. 
No, you want to go to that Tom Johnson class. I'm the goofiest, but no, they're damn good. Well, guys, my brain is melted, so I think we should wrap it up. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Jim, for... go ahead. Yeah, thanks for stopping by, Jim. I'm my a better pleasure. man for thanks it. For inviting me. You can uh, uh, you can go ahead like and put this down on your resume that you were on the overtime show. Yes. That'll go a long way. It should. It won't. It won't. <laughs> it, it won't. It won't even get you a free pass on a bus. Yeah, I'm just afraid my boss is going to cut my salary now. <laughs> hey, you took after the after the show here, Jim. Tell me what size shirt you are. I'm going to send you a shirt. You can wear to class. Okay. I'm I think like, we should do a one-off Jim Davis shirt. Yeah. No. So anyway, I'll send you a picture of my captain's CO bobblehead, and you can put that on his shirt. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. All right, guys. Thanks for stopping by, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Talk to you guys later. Been fun. Bye. He gone. He gone. Well, man. Seriously, I feel like a dum-dum. Yeah. Yeah, there was was definitely some stuff in there. I'm like, man, I kind of feel like I should have known that. Or at yeah. least had a better understanding about it. Like I, I'm almost so ignorant on the subject, I don't even know what to ask. That yeah. class is going to be great. I think I feel like he was leading us with questions, like, you know, what do you think this is? And then I'd be like, I know that, and I tell him, Nope. You're like, Try No, it. it isn't, dummy. Dumbass. Oh man. I like when you ask him a stupid question, he just started saying words. <laughs> Bowling ball, alligator. I was like, oh, he's giving you stupid answers. That's what he's doing, you sly bastard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was up there in the top top couple of numbers. I don't know Nate, how many. Nate Adams is trying to put Jim out of business. Yeah, I noticed that. The, uh, the uh, gasify everything guy and the electrify everything guy. Yeah. Should well, do a uh, celebrity death match between the two. Okay. Should I click the button or should we sit here awkwardly in silence and hope Chris shows up? Yeah, he's not going to show up. Might as well just end the show before he shows up because you know what's going to happen. He's going to show up and they're just going to be talking and talking and talking for the rest of the night. So yeah, let's get out of here before Chris shows up. All right, guys. See you next week. Peace out.